If you brought a Bible, would you open to the Sermon on the Mount? That's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we are in chapter 6, and today we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Just four verses. You can follow along with me as I read Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. So this is the Lord Jesus speaking, and he says, again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in heaven, or excuse me, who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the word of the Lord. We are in the Sermon on the Mount. We returned last week after being off for uh, several weeks with Christmas and some other things in January, and I summarized it this way last week. I'll put it together for us again today from a couple different commentators. In the Sermon on the Mount, we have the closest thing that we have from Jesus to a manifesto, so that's important. But then these two ideas, we have here what it means to be a citizen of Jesus' kingdom So for those of us that are sons and daughters of the Father, Christians, we are citizens of his kingdom. First and foremost, we have what it means to be a citizen. And then number two, Jesus' very own description of what he wanted his followers to be, and then out of being, to then do. And here now in Matthew chapter 6, in these first 18 verses of chapter 6, we actually have a mini-series within the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about what I'm calling doing our religion, not losing our religion. How many went home and listened to REM last week? Thank you, one of you. Very good. Okay, we are talking about doing our religion, um, or the way Jesus put it in verse 1, practicing your righteousness. Actually, take your eyes back up to the first verse of chapter 6 a moment. Let me reread this verse. It sets the stage for everything in 1 through 18. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. See, part of being a Christian, like we talked about last week, is we do our religion. Today, you drove over here to this piece of property, and this is one way you do your your religion. Or or again, his words, practice your righteousness. And in these 18 verses, he's addressing three very common uh, practices of a good, pious, first-century Jew. They, They spent time praying. They spent time giving to the poor. That's what we looked at last week, prayer today and next week. And then uh, a good pious follower of God uh, fasted, uh, abstained from food. And and we'll get to that as well in a a few different weeks. And so that is part of first century followers of God. It's part of being a Christian today. Now, yes, we are are all about having a personal, it's, it's, it's my relationship with the Father because of the work of the Son. And, and, and yet, 
it's, it's public. I mean, people ought to know, right? We get baptized. I don't know if you noticed when you pulled up here to, to this church campus, uh, there was a hose behind me, behind the screen, uh, with water pouring out, and we peeked in. Those of us that were setting up, they have baptisms today here, and they had to drain that water. And so it just it was fun to remember. That's right, baptism, that public demonstration of what God does on the inside. So being a citizen of the kingdom, there's elements of, of public practicing doing your religion. Here, in these three examples in Matthew 6, 1 to 18, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting, those are more private things. Now, they can be done in public, and others will see them, and we'll kind of get to that in a moment. But Jesus here, again, is dealing with the reality that some people did those things in his time, just as today, sometimes we can do our religion so that other people will notice. And that's what Jesus is, is pointing out. That's the wrong way to do religion. Back in chapter 5, Jesus had said that you are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And then in verse 16 of chapter 5, he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Good works, practicing your religion, those good things. So let, let the world see, let people see. But beware of having that be what you want, okay? There's some tension, I know. But in in verse 16 of chapter 5, Jesus said the goal or the point was so that when people see, they'll give glory to the Father, not you. (laughs) They won't say, attaboy, girl. They'll they'll give glory to the Father. So again, the wrong way is when we practice our religion, we do our religion in order to be seen by other people. The goal is to have an audience of one. But it becomes tricky. It becomes, becomes tricky. I'll, I'll get to that in a few moments with something from my own life here recently. Today, for the moments we have together, we come to prayer. Prayer as part of doing our religion. And we're going to see simply Jesus is going to address two wrong ways to pray. And then he's going to give corresponding uh, corrections to those wrong ways to pray. Two wrong ways and the corresponding corrections. So let's take a look at the first wrong way to pray, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Let me me call these verses, this first example of of the wrong way to pray, showy prayer, showy prayer. Verse verse 5, Jesus says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corner that they may be seen by other." Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Uh, This is almost identical to verse 2, what we looked at last week, where Jesus uh, talked about the wrong way to give to the poor. Uh, Almost the same way. He said, don't be like those uh, hypocrites, those who want others to see them, who who announce, they toot their horn, they do that in the synagogue, at the street, so that other people will notice. If if that's how you give, and, and now in prayer, if you pray so that others will notice you got your, re- your reward. You're at a boy, at a girl, people saying, hey, that's so good, or whatever. That's, that's the reward that, that you get. Now, it's interesting. He says, when you pray, Jesus assumes we will pray, just like he assumed his followers then, and I think now we'll, we'll give to the needy. That's, that's part of what God has worked in us. We, we want to meet needs. We, we want to pray. But let's talk about prayer just for a second. Jesus doesn't define prayer. He's talking to people who who know what it means to pray, and probably all of you know what it means to pray. 
right? At its simplest, prayer is just talking to God, right? Simple enough. Probably you parents in in the patio here today or online, if you've ever tried to explain prayer to your kids, you've probably said those words. It's talking to God. When we pray, we're we're talking to someone who's invisible to our eyes, but we're we're talking to God. That's prayer at its simplest. We we teach that to kids. We teach that to new Christians. If you grew up in the 80s, MC Hammer taught us that we need to pray just to make it today. Thank you. That's right. Amen. Amen. More than we all know. So prayer, we need to talk to God. That's, that's what Jesus assumes in, in explaining how not to pray. So let's just start there. Uh, I already kind of mentioned one pastor that I saw something that they posted on social media. Well, Tim Keller, uh, who you know I love and appreciate, uh, he posted this this morning. Pray and pray a lot especially when you don't feel like praying at all. Or, in the definition I just gave, talk to God and talk to God a lot, especially when you don't feel like talking to God at all. When, when we think that, have that, those are the moments we, we ought to talk to God all the more. Now, next week, Lord willing, the plan is, for us to jump into what most of us think of as the Lord's Prayer. In fact, your Bible may have that, that heading. I'm looking at my Bible on the margin above verses 9 uh, and following. It says, the Lord's Prayer, uh, our Father who art in heaven. Okay, we, we've heard that, we know that. Um, some people call it the Disciples' Prayer. We'll talk about the reason for that name next week. So Jesus is going to unpack uh, how to pray more. In fact, Jesus has a lot to say on prayer. Some of you might remember this last summer at the Grove, we were doing a series on some of the parables of Jesus. And we looked at uh, a parable of Jesus in Luke's account of the life of Jesus, where Jesus tells this story to, to encourage his followers to pray and to not give up. And he, he likens God to this wicked judge and, and this widow who was seeking uh, retribution for things, and and she just kept pestering, pestering, and finally this judge says, enough, fine. And Jesus almost, he he doesn't make a one-to-one equation of God being like that, but that's kind of what you start to feel, like if, if if a human judge gets pestered enough and finally relents to this woman, will not our father all the more, right? And he's arguing from lesser to greater, will not God when we come to him, you know, so... Jesus has a lot to say on prayer. We're looking at one t- section today, another section next week. Again, there's, there's a lot here. But let's, let's zero back in now. Verse, verse 5. So when you pray, he says, when you are doing your religion and you come to prayer, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogue, on the street corner, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. The, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures speak a lot of uh, prayer. In fact, they speak of praying several different times in the day. There's morning prayers, afternoon prayers, and evening prayers. We have in the book of Daniel, uh, the story of Daniel, he goes to pray at, at one of those times. Psalms speak of these different times of prayer. We actually see it in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Uh, In chapter 3, Peter and John were going up to pray at the hour of prayer. So they were set 
times of prayer for God's people, again, throughout the scripture. And sometimes uh, at those set times, some of those people would stop what they were doing and they would make quite a show about, oh, it's time to pray. And they would, you know, kind of call attention to themselves. They wouldn't be that discreet. So that would be done in the street as they are moving about or in the synagogue, which is kind of like um, their version of going to a church service, their, their gathering place. Uh, sometimes in the synagogue, um, someone would be called on to pray. In fact, right now, I'm going to call on... I'm just joking. Some of you were starting to have your heart race. You thought I would do it. But they would do that spontaneously. They would, they would ask for prayers. And so all of a sudden, someone would get called on to pray. And, and then there's this moment of talking to God, but wanting to be looked good. Now, we have to be clear on a couple things. First, standing isn't the issue. Again, the Bible, I love this. There's just tons of passages throughout the Bible of, of people praying in many different ways. Our, our bodies are, are meant to be engaged. This is why we ask you to stand sometimes, why we have you sit, uh, and, and so forth. But in the Bible, people pray um, prostrate, like laying down flat. They're just in awe of who God is, and they, they have to get low and humble themselves, you might say. In the Bible, we have examples of people kneeling in prayer. We have examples of people sitting in prayer and standing. So the issue here isn't that uh, someone stands uh, for prayer. That was normal. The second thing we have to be clear on is that Jesus is not condemning public prayer, public praying. In fact, there, there are many accounts in the Bible of Jesus himself praying publicly when he fed the different folks with, you know, the loaves and fish, he thanked God, uh, and, and we have his followers having some very public prayers recorded in, in the book of Acts and elsewhere. So again, it's not about standing when you pray, it's not about being in public. The issue is what I called showy prayer, showy prayer. That's what he means when he says that they may be seen by others. You see, it's about motive, just like it was last week when we talked about giving generously. It's about motive. Why do you give? Is it so that the other person notices and thanks, or are you doing it for the Lord? It's about motive. Do you want that attaboy, girl? woo look at you, or are you giving or now praying so that God is pleased? It comes back to motive again and again. When it's about showy prayer, that is the wrong way to pray. So verse 6 now, Jesus corrects that. Look, look down, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now again, he's not being absolute because as I said, he prayed publicly uh, his followers prayed publicly, so this is not like the only kind of prayer that is to be private prayer. But again, Jesus knows hearts, and he knows that too many times people in his day and maybe in our day, we, we, we do showy prayer. So he has this corrective. Now, some of you, you, you may read this verse or hear me read this verse, and you may think of the old King James uh, language for this verse. Let me read to you Matthew 6, 6 from the King James. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. How many of you grew up in church knowing about a prayer closet idea? Okay, I see some hands. So um, it's interesting 
to, to think about that. And, and I've known friends, I remember being at a college, Christian college, and there was times when certain guys on our floor, they would convert their, their little closet that was built into the room into a prayer closet, and, you know, and it was kind of their private little space to go pray and, and so forth. Now, nothing wrong with that, per se, unless, again, the goal was to have all the other guys on the floor think, whoa, wow, that guy really has it together. Again, what's the motive? But that's not what Jesus has in mind uh, here. In fact, that's why the ESV translation simply says, go into your room, your room. Now, this is a room that could be a storeroom. This word is only used four times in the, in the New Testament. One time it's translated storeroom. Uh, elsewhere, it's just used as probably an inner room. So in first century homes, it was a room that likely didn't have windows. So you couldn't, on the outside, look in and see what's inside that room, okay? Um, I, I was reading a book a few months ago, and uh, the author was talking about this very verse. And I thought this was fascinating um, as it relates to the King James English. So the author here, he says, A few years ago, my wife and I were touring Scotland enjoying the many castles and palaces of my historic motherland. This guy is, is from Scotland. While visiting the palace of Holyrood House in Edinburgh, we noticed a portion of the historic royal residence identified as the Queen's Closet and the King's Closet. We anticipated a tidy collection of royal robes, fancy shoes, and other exquisite clothing accessories, right? Isn't that like most of our closets? generally. What we discovered was quite surprising. When this palace was built by King James VI, the same one who authorized the 1611 translation of the Bible into English, the King James English, a closet was not a little storage area for the safekeeping of clothes as we understand it today. Rather, it was a special meeting room. To be called to the king's closet in that day was a rare privilege indicating you were part of an inner circle of close acquaintances or special guests. So if you built a little closet in your home because of the King James prayer closet idea, you did it wrong. You need a big room inside. But it's fascinating to think of. Even the King James English, they weren't thinking like we think closet. It was a, a room to go to, to, to summon someone to. And Jesus here is simply saying, when you pray, go to that inner place in your, your dwelling home where people can't see. And, and there, there, that's where you talk to God. Again, it's not about avoiding public prayer per se. It's about the heart. It's, a, it's that, that motive test. It's about thinking and praying in the spirit of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, where, where the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This, this may seem and sound easier than it is at, at first glance. So I, a story on this. So uh, again, at the risk of having you all say, "Add a boy, Pastor Paul, which I'm not, uh, this last fall, I had the privilege, the elders agreed to let me take a, a class online, a 90-day class. Um, I had a, a Zoom meeting every two weeks in the morning uh, on prayer. 
And the, the point of it was to bring renewal to my own prayer life. Uh, and then as, as a pastor, to help that shape prayer for our church. And so I didn't toot my horn about it, and I'm, I'm not, okay, in, in that regard. Uh, but this illustrates, I think, what Jesus is getting at. Um, I, again, had Zooms every other week. I had books to read. This that I quoted from was one of them. Um, assignments to do. Uh, my kids remember me saying, I got to go to class now. And they thought that was the greatest thing, hearing their dad say that he had homework and had class. And so um, it was good, though. I am thankful for that time. Um, so, so it has, I think, changed some of the ways I pray and, and some of the ways I'm praying uh, as well publicly. So here I was a couple weeks ago in a meeting with some other pastors, and um, I didn't know this was going to happen, but kind of like you all sitting there, the person leading the meeting said, Paul, would you open us in prayer? So there I am. I hadn't planned to pray. So I said, of course, so let's pray. And I took a breath, and, and I thought about something that I had been reading in the scriptures, from Psalm 8, and, and so I began my prayer. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I'd been praying that in some other contexts. In fact, I, I see Greg back there um, at our weekly staff meeting. I, in fact, probably that same week, used that verse in prayer. So here I was, using something God had been speaking to me about, and, and I'm praying it in this gathering of pastors. And as I finished my prayer, I had this thought. I wonder if they all notice what a good prayer this is. Seriously! I was very proud of my prayer in front of a room of other pastors. And to say amen and to hear, "Mm, yes, yes, amen. Oh, the Shekinah was on me. Or not. Or not. Again, I tell you that because even that telling isn't so that you know, oh, well, even Paul messes up, right? We think of sin, wrongdoing before God as those willful acts where we, we break a commandment or we, you know, grievous things. But like the Psalm I just read, search me. Even, even a good thing like prayer in a split second, I found myself hoping they all noticed. And that's what Jesus is getting at. When you pray, Christian, citizen of the kingdom, when you do your religion and it involves praying, go to your room, pray, and and, and I think we can apply. When you got to pray in public, test your motive, test your heart, because how quickly the heart can be deceived and and can want other people to give that attaboy, girl. Here's some questions, and you may not be able to write these down quick enough. Uh, We'll put these on the website when the sermon gets posted. These are good questions and helpful questions. Do I pray frequently or more fervently when I am alone with God than when in public? Is my public praying an overflow of my private prayer? By the way, I I should say, some people, they won't pray in public. And, And maybe that's not about these kind of issues. It's just because of Kind of like public speaking, there's just a fear of that, and and that's a different thing, okay? I'm I'm addressing here with these questions, this tension. If you do pray in public at times, and and, and how private prayer and public prayer sort of interact, okay, that's where these questions are helpful for that search my heart, God, check. So, is my 
public praying an overflow of my private prayer? What do I think of when I'm praying in public? Like my little story. Am I looking for just the right phrase? Am I thinking of the worshipers more than of God? Am I a spectator to my own performance? Is it possible that the reason more of my prayers are not answered is because I am more concerned about bringing my prayer to others than to God? So those are really deep thoughts to ponder in relation to our prayer. So Jesus says in these two verses, showy prayer is wrong. It's one wrong way to pray. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it sort of sneaks up. Let's look at the second wrong way to pray now in verses 7 and 8. Here Jesus is is dealing with repetitious prayer, specifically meaningless repetitious prayer. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles, as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Jesus says that when his followers are to pray, they're not to pray in a way that's reminiscent of what Jesus here says. Pagans, some of your Bibles may put it, Gentiles. In other words, the nations, the non the non-Jew. He's talking to Jews at this point who are his followers now, and he's saying, those those other people, they can tend to just pile up these these phrases. And and you might think of this example. Uh, every commentary I looked at this week mentions this example. First Kings chapter 18, the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and and it's a it's one of my favorite stories. If you haven't read it in a while, First Kings 18, you should read it. There's a lot of humor in it. Um, But verse 26 says this, they, that's the prophets of Baal, they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered and they limped around the altar that they had made. Maybe they, you know, were cutting themselves or doing something to be devoted in their pagan worship. But that's kind of probably one of the ideas. Those very pagan uh, people prayed over and over and over again from morning till noon. We see this similar idea in Acts chapter 19. This is where the Apostle Paul is in Ephesus and a riot breaks out in the city. And um, speaking there of Alexander, it says, when, when they, the crowds, recognized that Alexander was a Jew For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. There's a lot there. Artemis was uh, uh, very much, uh, in in this regard, a a demonic worship, pagan worship, um, uh, occult-like. And for them, for two hours, I mean, Luke is giving us specificity here. For two hours, these folks worshipped, prayed for this, this lowercase god, um, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. Imagine a mob, a riot, for two hours chanting that. I bet you could cut the evil feeling with, with a knife, just how intense that would be. That's, I think, an illustration or two of what Jesus has in mind here. Meaningless, as in, to God, repetition. Because... Jesus isn't against repetition. In Matthew 26, 44, 
It says that leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time. This is when he's in the garden. So Jesus three times spent time praying. Second uh, Corinthians 12, 8, the apostle Paul famously says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about the thorn in the flesh that it would leave me. Or Isaiah chapter six, verse three, you know this. And one angel called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, right? They didn't say it just once. They repeated it. It meant something. So the issue isn't repetition. The issue is meaningless repetition. I love how one commentator puts this. Jesus is not forbidding all long prayers or repetition. He himself prayed at length, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. He repeated himself in prayer, what I just read to you, Matthew 26, 44. He told a parable to show his disciples that they should always pray and not give up, Luke 18, 1. He's not forbidding long prayer or repetition in and of itself. His point is that his disciples should avoid meaningless repetitive prayers offered under a misconception that mere length will make prayers efficacious. Meaningless repetitive prayer where the thought is that the length of it will do something. So Jesus says that's another wrong way to pray, but here's his correction, verse 8. Do not be like those who pray that way. Do not be like them. Why? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. I found myself this week saying at first, really, Jesus, that's all you're going to give for a correction? (laughs) Like I I wanted more. Okay, we're not supposed to just meaningless, have meaningless repetitive prayers. And your correction is, don't be like them. Instead, (laughs) your father knows what you need before you ask. Again, tension, right? Because he's telling us when you pray, when you pray. But now, so are we not to pray? And I think some people take that statement a little too far as well. Now, if he knows what I need before I ask him, why even pray? I've had those thoughts. So after I worked on that in my own heart this week, I actually was, was in awe at, at the Lord. He does know what we need before we ask. And there were a couple moments this week where I was praying about some serious things and I took such comfort in that statement. My Father in heaven knows what I need. And that led me to praise him and thank him. It led me to remember Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He's with me in, in whatever valley I'm in. He knows what I need before I ask. He's with me. He knows me. He made me. He saved me. And and I just began to think about all the truth of my identity in Christ. All that's mine. And I took great joy, even as I was praying about some heavy things, knowing that my Father knows what I need before I ask. Jesus doesn't say, so don't pray. He just says, you don't need to pile on things and have it just be length of time. Your Father knows. Your Father knows. One writer put it, as an earthly father knows the needs of his family, yet teaches the kids to ask in confidence and trust, so does God treat his children. 
And any mom or dad knows that. When, when our kids are little, we know needs that kids have, but we want them to ask. There's just great joy when, when they come and ask. So church, as we do our religion, as we practice our righteousness, which includes prayer, public, private, sometimes as we talk to God, we must avoid showy prayer and meaningless repetitive prayer. Instead, over and over, we need to seek to be heard and seen by God. We need to seek him and, and always test, asking him to test our motives and, and remember we're, we're, we're praying, in this case, to a father who, who loves us and knows what we need. We're going to get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion. Later on in Matthew 26, we find an account of Jesus praying. I've, I've referenced it now already today. Let me read this account. Then Jesus went with his disciples, with them, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but yours. The son submitting in, in those moments, just hours, hours before his arrest, his bogus trial, the, the flogging that he would endure, the, the sentence of, of death that would come upon him, that he must be executed, and then being told to carry a cross, and then being hung on a cross. Father, I, if, if you're willing, this cup, that was his way of describing the wrath of God that was coming. I don't want your wrath to overflow on me but not my will, yours be done. And he knew that's why he had come. But in that moment, he was being very honest in his prayer. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. I, you know, I'm so glad I wasn't one of them. I, I just, like, I, I used to like be all snooty, like, oh, didn't, couldn't they just stay awake like Jesus asked? I would be sleeping probably too. For their eyes were heavy. So leaving again, he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words and he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So today, church, first Sunday of the month, we remember these events of the Lord Jesus. 
And in the way we do it, our tradition, we have the single serve device. I hope you all have one. And in a minute on my uh, leading, we'll, we'll eat together. It's a family meal, so we'll, we'll do that. And then after we've eaten, we'll turn it over, open the other side, and we'll drink together. And we will remember, as Jesus told us to, his death until he comes. We'll remember that he instituted this meal for his followers and said, I will eat this again when I return. And so we, we take and we remember what he did for us to redeem us, to save us, as First Peter says, knowing that we were ransomed, we were rescued from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We remember that we were ransomed because of what Jesus did, and we remember we, we look ahead that he promised he's coming, he's coming, and we'll have this meal with him one day. So now let's pray and quietly just for a few moments talk to the Lord. It's always a good time at communion to, to pray that Psalm 139 prayer. Search my heart, Lord. See if there's anything going on where I'm out of sorts with you, where I'm out of sorts with anyone. And, and just quietly confess, have a moment with the Lord. And then, as I said on my instruction, we'll, we'll eat and drink together.